The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okay, back to the usual grind today. Yesterday was a fun reprieve from the normal fantasy stuff, although we did talk a lot of fantasy. Today, we're back at it. And with that, I say welcome to the show, everybody. It's Fantasy NBA Today. This is your Tuesday edition, April the 21st. Tomorrow, the 22nd, will be, I believe, six weeks from the NBA closing its doors. And yes, it's been a rough six weeks, but here's the thing. Here's what I want to talk about at the start of today's show. Just a little bit of a little bit of cautious optimism. First of all, I'm Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. You guys likely know that already, so we're not going to devote a whole bunch of time to it. And this is a hoop ball, hoop-ball.com presentation. Still, again, good stuff going on over there. Uh, the great Steve Vitovich has a fantasy snapshot of the San Antonio Spurs going right now. Uh, our guy Sam over at Hoopball has a season so far analysis on those very same spurs the great eric ong warming up the hype machine for next year had some stuff on the suns yesterday as well uh so there's there's still activity at hoop ball i hope you guys will take a moment to go check that stuff out it's just something to do that's not directly tied to the quarantine we're in right now now he says that dan being he me being dan Right before segueing into a quick, very quick assessment of why it's even worth mentioning that we're about six weeks out from the NBA closing its doors. The reason that it's worth mentioning is because six weeks ago, I mean, what did we really think was going to be going on six weeks in the future? Things change so much every minute. I just, I had this long discussion with my wife first thing this morning. Because it was like the big weight kind of set in a little bit. That we really have very little clue what this all means. Especially timing-wise. But the the optimism, the, the small positivity that I'll give you guys today is we because we don't know, we don't know. And what I mean by that is, what do we know about what's going to be going on a week from today? Two weeks from today. Three weeks from today. For instance, California has a stay-at-home order that's in place until May 15th. That's about three and a half weeks from now. We're about four and a half weeks into California's stay-at-home order. A little bit more than that, actually. Uh, Actually, it'll be five weeks on Thursday. So four weeks and five days. 33. There were 33 days in, and we're about 24 ish 24 days out from the current end and we don't know we just don't know and I, I know i use california as an example a lot but that's you know that's where i am and you can hopefully apply this to wherever you are as well the uh the, the real key is you know f- four and a half weeks ago when when california implemented the stay-at-home order and one was one of the first cities to do so things really hadn't taken off at all You know, it was another week, two weeks, three weeks, really, until we saw the craziness in New York. There's been so much fighting. 
politically and otherwise. I want to dodge all of those topics on today's podcast and just remind everybody that we just have no idea what things are going to look like in 5, 10, 15 days from now. We have vague ideas, so maybe I shouldn't say no idea. But so far, things that we're doing change the trajectory of how this whole thing goes. From a sports standpoint, you'll probably see things like golf get going again. Stuff where people can actually socially distance themselves. The NBA is going to be very slow to get back involved. Because, for one, one of the big positives is that you know, the NBA, the, the rosters are not very big. Among the smallest rosters of any major sport. The the bad side is that there's no protection at all. I mean, it is the least socially distanced of any of the sports. Football, at least they've got face masks on. Not like that's going to do any good. Maybe they'll put, maybe more guys will be wearing the ones with that uh, plastic visor on it this year. Sports are going to have a real tough time coming back, the, the major ones. Um, you know, baseball, you've got pretty big rosters, so that makes it tough, but at least players can socially distance a little bit when they're not in the dugout. Football, gigantic rosters. Hockey, maybe you've got an opportunity there because aside from checking, you know, it's not like basketball where, you know, pairs of players are basically touching the entire ball game. But again, without, without getting too down on this stuff, we just really don't know. The point of everything that's going on right now, and it's why I get so stressed out, and I'm sure you guys do too, when you hear about these, these massive pushes to try to get things that are not essential reopened. When I don't want to pick on any one thing in particular, because I know, you know there might be somebody listening to the podcast where that's their job. So that's obviously a very important thing to you in particular. But at the same time, if it's something that continues to spread the disease, then the rest of us just have to keep on waiting. The real key here is you've got to get this thing down to where the transmission is almost negligible. It'll never go completely away until there's a vaccine. And then you can take measures, social distancing, teleworking, all of that stuff, and keep those in place long term to slow any potential additional outbreaks. Biggest fear for many of us, I think, is kids going back to school. There's, there's just no way you can socially distance children. But adults, we can do it. We don't know what's going to happen a week, two weeks, three weeks from now. We don't. So don't freak out about the future. Don't freak out about things we don't know. Just keep going about your business. Let's do this thing. Let's uh, get whatever work done we can, and, and we'll make the best of it. As I've mentioned before, if you'd like to join our sales team, I'm sure some of you guys out there are looking for something to do. Uh... If you're fully sitting, if you're really like sitting on your hands right now and you're willing to put in a crap ton of hours doing sales work, this would be a great time to dive in. You can get going. Plenty of businesses are working from home. So, I, you know, the first thought I'm sure is, well, who am I calling? Well, don't worry. A lot of places, non-retail type establishments, they're just, you know, just working from home offices. So places are continuing to function as best they can and thus... Hoopball would love to have a, a bigger sales team when this whole thing lifts. So hit me up, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. I'll, probably, I'll try to remember to put a tweet out about it uh, because I know fewer of you guys are listening to the pod now than, you know, when there are sports. But uh, this would be a great time if you're sitting around with a 40-hour work week on your hands and nothing to do. Get rolling. You could see headway in, in three or four weeks 
with that type of time to invest, when you have fewer hours, it's harder to make that kind of headway. Now is an amazing time to do it. Anyway, let's dive on in. We yesterday covered my top lesson of the year in fantasy. We also talked a little bit about The Last Dance, episodes one and two. Super cool. Can't wait for episodes three and four on Sunday. I believe one of them is the Dennis Rodman episode, which is going to be amazing. So today we pivot back into our team-by-team breakdown. That'll hopefully carry us through, well, another month or so of this quarantine. The Southwest Division. We got some teams to pick from. And I decided to go with, because, frankly... I, you know, I, I didn't want to have, didn't want to have that much of a challenge today, so I went with the Houston Rockets. We'll kick it off with the Houston Rockets today. Uh, we'll make our tour of Texas, then we'll hit up Memphis and New Orleans in no particular order. I know it screws everything up to have these things going without the Monday through Friday feel. It was very simple and easy to track to say, hey, last week we did the Pacific Division Monday through Friday, but you know what? We're gonna do a a, a Jordan show and a lessons show every Monday. We're going to have a show with Brandon Marcus coming up here in the next week or so. I'd love to get Josh Millman back on. I know for a long time uh, he was really buried in a Millman, of course, uh, out in the, the uh, eastern seaboard, the the New Jersey area, in an area that was getting hit pretty hard with this stuff. Um, so I haven't wanted to bug him too much, but I'll bug him now since it seems like things are finally beginning to settle down just a little bit. Uh, we'll get Brewski back on here shortly. Uh, you know, We'll start to get some of the regular voices from Hoopball back on the pod haven't talked to my guys Neil, Adrian in a long time, and uh, break down some of the stuff we learned from this season. So that'll be coming up here uh, interspersed among the team-by-team breakdowns. But let's dive on into the Houston Rockets today, which is, outside of Russell Westbrook, one of the very easiest teams to have a kind of mid-mortem or post-mortem on uh, for this 2019-2020 season. And we'll start at the top. James Harden played 61 games Before the suspension of the season, missed three, I believe, games for the Rockets. This is something that I should have had up on my screen before starting the podcast. Not super important, the designation between, you know, two or three games. Yeah, it was three. Couldn't remember if it was two or three uh, or four. And the the main point here is that he missed 5% of their games, roughly, to this point. And any top-tier player that's playing in all but 5% of his team's games, gets that extra check mark. There are so many articles that bounce around in the NBA that talk about whether someone is injury-prone or not. And I, I think, to some degree, the articles that say, well, you can't really put that tag on someone, they have some merit. You know, we, as in the fantasy landscape, we tend to assign the injury-prone tag to guys more often than we should. What we need at this point are kind of staggered tiers of tagging for these types of guys. So there's guys that are full-on injury-prone, like for real, for real. Joel Embiid is injury-prone at this point. He's never played a full season in his NBA career. Uh, Danilo Gallinari has generally been pretty damn injury-prone. He was closer to not injury-prone the last couple of seasons, but we're still saying, listen, a good, really good year for him is playing about 80% of his team's games. That's a, that's a good year. Anything above that is just gravy. So there are guys where we know certain things to be the case. Then there's guys that have scheduled maintenance guys, so you can't really call them injury-prone because they are expected to sit out games, and that's obviously the, the likes of Kawhi Leonard, 
Russell Westbrook, who sat out back-to-backs. Kristaps Porzingis coming off of the big surgery, although that may or may not be the case next year. This is an easy bunch to, to isolate as well. And the third tier that we've talked about on this podcast before in sort of a different angle is what I call the 10th category, and that's durability. And to me, we're in an era now where that is actually the category, the, the moniker, the adjective about a player that you want to be assessing. Not whether somebody is injury prone, but whether they're not. The average number of games played in the NBA these days, whatever you want to call it that, is missing somewhere on the order of 10 to 15% of a team's ballgames. The majority of the league is playing in that 70 to 74 range nowadays. That's where the mean sits. And obviously, you know, it, it, the, the mode, if we're going to do mean, median, and mode, is going to be higher than that. The median is going to be higher than that as well because, and this is just, I'm not going to get into simple arithmetic on the podcast for too long, but considering the most games you can play is 82 and the fewest is zero, if you throw one player in there who played like 20 games, you need effectively three times that number or more to balance it out on the other side of the scale. So it's just easier to bring the number down than it is to raise the number up. Still, and by the way, that's part of why this thing gets clouded a little bit, it's also why guys playing anywhere from about 72, uh, honestly, anybody playing from about 68 to about 75, all kind of fall in that same department. Certainly guys at the lower end, you give a little bit of an extra ding. Guys at the upper end, you give an extra bit of a, of a, a positive bump. But... That whole block is kind of in one big league average type grouping. Looking back at last year, that includes the likes of Giannis, who played in 72. Steph Curry, who played in 69 last year. Well, I mean, look at the list up and down, up and down the deal. You've got, uh, well, let's see. We got to sort these things by per game instead of total. That would help our cause. Uh, you've got Russell Westbrook playing 73 last year, DeAndre Ayton 71, Mike Conley was 70, Miles Turner was 74. You could even go all the way down to 67. Drew Holiday was at 67. Kyrie Irving last year was 67. And then there's the guys that are above and below who get the either demerits or the check mark, the check plus. James Hart, 78. Paul George, 77 last year. Cat. This year, it's certainly changing things a little bit. Kevin Durant last year, Dame, Vooch, Jokic, Beal, Gobert, Drummond, Kemba from last year, LaMarcus Aldridge, Brooke Lopez, Tobias Harris. We don't have to go much farther than that. The point is, you're going to see a bunch of guys who, in general, and you have to look at body of work with this stuff, have that 10th category. It's not everybody. What did I list? Maybe 10, 12 guys out of the top 35 or so? A third? Something like a third of guys actually can be expected to play most of the season. Those guys were all at 75 or higher. 
think that was where guys were all at 77 or higher, actually. But the point we're trying to make here is, and it's going to loop back around to our James Harden discussion, what you should be looking for at this point now is not necessarily eliminating all of the guys who are hanging out in that 65 to 70 range because they're just not that far behind a great portion of the actual league, but instead assign more value, give a value boost to the guys who play 76 or more games most seasons or even get close to that number. We've had a few things go the opposite way this season. Paul George came into the year with an injury, so we were able to kind of write him off early. Uh, we mentioned Cat. That was a little bit more of a freak injury. Steph Curry, or Cat was just things catching up. For Steph, it was a little bit more of a freak injury. He was generally in that mid-range area. I don't think you make the adjustment there. Dame played in a lot of games again. Even when he was out, he didn't miss that much time. Jokic, Beal, these are guys that just play. Drummond had a weird season once things started to spiral in Detroit, but Gobert played in basically every single ball game again. So you look at a body of work, and it doesn't always pan out. You know, there was a lot of Kemba Walkers drafted, and his durability came apart at the wrong time. But Tobias Harris generally plays in games. Buddy Heald plays in games. DeMar DeRozan plays in games. So look at the guys that have done it two, three, four years in a row. They don't have to play in all 82. But they got to get to the upper parts of that kind of league average bubble or better. And those guys get a bump. And the reason we had this little side discussion is because James Harden gets that bump. Not only is he insanely productive from a fantasy standpoint, but he plays. He plays 90% of his team's games every year. Almost without fail. Very infrequently does he have a little blip on the radar. I mean, really infrequently. Look at his numbers since he went to Houston. 78, 73, right? That's the down year at this point. 81, 82, 81, 72. That was that year, if I, if I recall, that was a, a two full seasons back where, was it a hamstring or a groin? I thought he was going to miss like six weeks and he was back in three. Last year, 78. This year, he was at 61 out of 64. He's so good. He's so elite in so many categories. He blocks shots. He gets steals, assists, rebounds, scores like a crazy person. Three balls. League best free throw stuff. Field goal percent is never going to be glorious. Not with the volume of difficult shots he takes. You don't need me to tell you that James Harden is one of, if not the most important player in fantasy sports. And the reason that he gets that little bump, and I know that I generally go the Anthony Davis route because... You know, heaven forbid this year AD had actually caught... If he was even with James Harden in games played this year, AD would be out in front by a pretty good chunk. But that just sort of doesn't really happen all that often. Harden is almost always going to beat Anthony Davis in games played, even though AD has shown himself to be more durable than people realized. And so by totals, James Harden is number one. Why are we spending so much time talking about this? Well, I just think it's worth noting that this is one of those weird little spots, Anthony Davis on a per-game basis, and this is this is close, by the way. 
Anthony Davis is number one on a per-game basis. James Harden is right behind him, and then there's a big gap before you get down to number three. But if you flip it to totals, because those guys, because each of those two guys, and we're talking just Harden and Davis right now, because they're so valuable every single time they touch the floor, James Harden playing six more games than AD so far this year, vaults him out in front on a totals basis by about three times the gap that AD was in front on a per-game basis. So you could probably do the math. Uh, That basically means that there need to be four little chunks. Effectively, one and a half James Harden games was how far AD was in front of him on a per-game basis. And James Harden did that four times. He had four one-and-a-half games one-and-a-half gameses over Anthony Davis. And so Harden was number one and could and could or should be number one again. You can go either way. You know me with my, with my love of defensive stats, so oftentimes I'll go the AD route. But I'll tell you what, if you have number one pick and you want to just feel safe, cozy, and warm all season long, you just take Harden and then you never even think about it again. I want to work my way the other direction now. I'm, I'm circling the wagons here on Russell Westbrook. He's going to be the last guy we talk about because the rest of the Rockets are, well, not super interesting. The Rockets have a number of players on their roster that fill out certain roles, especially in their small ball look. P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, Ben McLemore, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green. They tried them all, man. They tried them all. And not one of those guys was inside the top 100 at the end of the year. Not one on a per-game basis. Fine, you can tell me by totals, P.J. Tucker was inside the top 100. By totals, he was actually number 69 because he played in every single ballgame. But you know what, teams, that helps? That helps deep league weekly rosters. That does not help your head-to-head team because a lot of his value is tied up in super low turnovers and durability. That does not help your Roto Games Cap daily team because it's pretty damn easy to find a guy performing better than P.J. Tucker on any given week. It's pretty easy. He'll have a few where he's the better guy, but you can just pick up and drop other dudes as you see fit. We had this discussion last week where if you have the wherewithal and you don't have a moves limit in your league, it's actually quite simple. Instead of sitting on P.J. Tucker for the entire year, to play him when he's hot, dump him when he's not. And he was really hot to start the season before Westbrook settled in. Basically, since Russell Westbrook became a fantasy force with Houston, P.J. Tucker has had no value at all. He's outside the top 125 over that stretch. Oddly, since Houston went to their small ball lineup, the only non-core three guy that has had fantasy value, was Daniel House. He bounced back nicely as kind of a small ball four. I think he was the four in that round. Maybe the three, small ball three. Doesn't matter. Who cares with that that lineup? He was doing just enough to have value over his final 20-ish games or so. Uh, Again, a lot of that tied up in super low turnovers, but worth using. And so that's where we'll focus our attention, because with P.J. Tucker, uh, he played 33 and a half minutes a game over the last 
basically month and a half, two months of the season, and took only five shots a night. Point of reference, Russell Westbrook averaged about two more minutes than Tucker over that stretch and took 20 more shots per game. Russell Westbrook averaged 25 shots a night over his last 20 games this year. P.J. Tucker, uh, Westbrook played 36 and a half minutes. Tucker played 33 and a half minutes, and he took five and change shots per game. Woo! Five times almost. So much as I love P.J. Tucker, the ultra-durable, plodding, small ball center, it just ain't there because his value is tied up in steals and rebounds, and you know Westbrook has taken those rebounds away. So I'm out on P.J. Tucker. I was never I, I was never in on Eric Gordon. I'm not in on Jeff Green. I'm not in on Austin Rivers or Ben McLemore. All of those guys, are their fantasy games are, are pretty bunk. Jeff Green is probably the closest to fantasy value of the bunch, but he's not going to play enough minutes as the backup small ball center. So you're looking at three and a half fantasy players on this roster. Daniel House, who was logging starters minutes at the three, when everything came apart with this team. And, and even that was a bit of a stretch because he went on a hot run uh, and then cooled off substantially over the last week and a half prior to the shutdown, where he averaged just eight and a half points per game on seven shots a night. And really, what it's telling you is that this is basically a three-horse team. But if you really wanted to, and this is before we get to the main horses, if you really wanted to take a flyer on any of those other kind of wank guys on the roster off the main grid it's basically it's Daniel House in the last round of your draft or nothing you're drafting him with the express purpose of trotting him out there to protect your team that might have an injury or two someone like that should be more like your 11th or 12th man on your roster and you plug him in when one of your main guys is out you just you don't have to think about it too much. You can utilize a different roster spot to to wheel and deal or whatever it is you need to do. Or if you wanted to, you could drop him. I don't care. No one would care. Guys in that range that have a top 70 week or a top 73 weeks followed by a top 153 weeks, those guys are on and off of rosters all season long in 12-team leagues. I don't want to belabor the point too much. I, I mentioned this team is one of the easier ones to handicap, and they really are, because the only question we get to now is who's going to be better next year between Russell Westbrook and Rob Covington? Covington looks like an unreal fit with this Rockets roster. Rob Covington looks like he's been completely rejuvenated and just didn't fully have the time here at the end of the season to 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 flex his muscles for longer than a couple of weeks. One sort of odd note is that Russell Westbrook was shooting something like 53% over his last 20 games of the year with Houston. That, even though he's been so much better, is unsustainable. He, he completely eliminated the three-pointer to help his field goal percent, which from a fantasy standpoint is a massive leap for him. Free throw percent was better for Westbrook this year. Uh, rebounds and assists are down from his time in Oklahoma City because, well, he's being asked to win instead of just go collect stats. Uh, but he's going to score. He's going to get you a decent chunk of rebounds. He's going to get you a decent chunk of assists. He's going to get you steals. And you just have to hope that the percentages are are not bad. And then for a stretcher, they were quite good. 
he was a top 15 guy for that haul. He was actually a first rounder for uh, the better part of, I think that was February. Feels like forever ago, doesn't it? I think Rob Covington is going to be dramatically underdrafted next year just because of his stat set. But he was so good with Houston. He was so damn good with Houston. And they didn't waste any time throwing him into the mix. You know, they didn't screw around with Rob. They threw him right into the fire. He played 14 games with the Rockets, averaged 12.8 points, the exact same number of points he was averaging in Minnesota. But the difference in Houston, playing an additional three minutes a night and, and caring. He was locked in. Two extra rebounds a ball game, an extra half a three-pointer a night, his blocks were going to level off. He was averaging two and a half blocks a game in Houston. But, I mean, it's not that insane. He had time in Philadelphia, averaged 1.8 for a month. In Minnesota, averaged 1.1 for a long haul. He's always been around, uh, well, 1.1, 1.2 blocks per 36. So that's not a crazy number for him to get to. And he's pretty close to two steals per 36. So, yeah, give me the guy getting three combined defensive stats and almost three three-pointers a night. With those six cash counters, as our buddy Aaron Brucey likes to call him, six cash counters a game, he almost doesn't have to do anything else and he'll be a top 50 guy. But he gave you almost eight rebounds a night in Houston, and that put him inside the top 35 and for stretches inside the top 30. I would happily have Rob Covington as my third-round pick next year, and I'm betting we'll be able to get him in the fourth. Now, Russell Westbrook is he is quite a, he is quite a case study because he got off to an incredibly slow start this year, such as, by the way, such is the deal when you are a, a insane usage guy joining a team with the highest usage player in the NBA. But they found a way to make it work. Uh, basically, just they just eliminated usage from everybody else on the court. Russell Westbrook and James Harden were the uh, number two and number three volume shooters in the NBA behind just Bradley Beal and, again, existed on the same team. The knock on Russell Westbrook is that he's now a member of the load management club, played in 53 of their 64 games this year. That is rest days and injuries combined, so he had already missed 11 games to this point. Even if he didn't miss anything else, he was basically down 15% of his team's games on the year likely to miss one would think another two or three the rest of the way at least so you're talking about a guy now that's set to miss about 12 or 13 percent or more of his team's games right from the start of the season which even though he was actually putting together a really nice year overall his field goal percent was way up to 47 and a half Free throw percent had come back into the high 70s. Still wasn't a net positive, but he basically turned both of his percentage categories into a wash, where previously they had been anything but that. Last year in Oklahoma City, he was at 42.8% from the field. That was basically a career low, or right around with it, and just 65.6% from the field. Far and away, that was a career low. So the percentages came back in a huge way. The assists, the rebounds came down, which we expected in Houston. He is that weird case study where the efficiency bump actually made up for the drop-off in the usage categories. 
Now, I know his scoring was still very, very high, but there's sort of almost no way he was going to get all the way to the usage he had in Oklahoma City. Took more shots than last year, but four fewer assists just tells you how many possessions he was actually finishing. He was finishing fewer possessions, or a part of, I should say, the assist or the field goal attempt than he was in Oklahoma City the last couple of seasons uh, because of that assist drop-off. But they got him pretty damn close. And then the big efficiency bump, which we talked about yesterday, which doesn't always happen for these guys. It did. It happened for him in a huge way. And the biggest part of it was apparently the three-point guru in Houston was like, nah, man, you're bad from out here. Go shoot something else. And he took as few as three-pointers per game since 2012 at just 3.8. He's bad, man. He's been under 30% from three-point land basically his entire career. And since there's been a a reasonable sample size, he's been right around 30%. That's just not going to get it done. He took the ball to the rack this year, and he was shooting almost 50% on twos. He's shooting around 50% on twos. They were like, look, go take, a, go take a shot that makes sense. Here's the thing. You can do some simple math on this stuff. Effective field goal percent. You know, a three-pointer is worth 50% more than a two. Take his, fifth, take his three-point percentage and add 50% on top of it. And at 25.5% this year, that still only gets you to about 37 38%. That's not even close to the 50-ish percent he was shooting from two-point land. So they turn him into a more efficient scorer. But again, they don't want him playing every game. He was someone that had been quite durable. But with the way he plays, I think Houston was aware that it's just not a sustainable way to fly. So now you're looking at a guy who this year, over the full season, finished at number 38 but was trending up after a really slow start. I have no idea where where Russell Westbrook is going to get drafted next year. I have no freaking idea. He always gets overdrafted because of his name. He was drafted midway through the second round on Yahoo this year. His ADP was 17.2. I mean, no way. No way am I taking him that early. I mean, the only way I'm looking at Russell Westbrook is third round or beyond. That's the only way. For Houston, the, another reason that this team is so easy to handicap is that their core guys are signed for the next three years, basically. Rob Covington has two more years on his contract. Harden has two more and a player option. Russell Westbrook has two more and a player option. So nothing's going to change for this team. They're going to they might fit some weirdo pieces around those main three guys, but effectively, I mean, you can you can build a house around the fantasy values on this team and not think about it until the year 2022. Maybe 2023. That's pretty crazy how simple this team is to handicap and how little you have to worry about it. James Harden, he's probably going to be the number one or number two fantasy player in Houston, unscathed for the next two or three years. Russell Westbrook is likely going to be overdrafted, but slightly more efficient in Houston. And probably still, I'm not going to end up with him anywhere for the next two or three years. The guy on this roster that I really think I could end up with is Rob Covington. You guys know how much I love his fantasy game. 
It was great to get him into a situation where he could just chuck three balls, steal, and block shots and not worry about much else and just get rebounds because there's no center on the floor, right? It's not like P.J. Tucker is going to go up and over Covington to get him. Rob was, I believe, the tallest man in the starting five on that roster at six foot seven. So his rebounding is going to be up. Steals and blocks are going to be great. Three-pointers are going to be great. They've got him for $12 million and then $13 million the next two seasons. But he doesn't score that much. And so it feels like he's probably going to fall into the late 30s or 40s. And he could, he could almost kind of be a little bit of our Chris Paul next year or a guy that you know we've seen post-second-round value. Right? We've seen Rob Covington do this in the past. He was drafted, by the way, his ADP was 48 this year, so he ended up being a, a fantastic value. But looking at two years ago, what about two years ago in Philadelphia when he was at you know 12.5 points per game, 2.5 three-pointers, 1.7 steals and a block? What about the year before that in Philly where he was at 13, 6.5, two steals, a block, and two three-pointers? We have seen Rob Covington do it in the past. I love talking about guys that we've actually seen do it before. By the way, Rob Covington was number 16 last year before his season was shut down after 35 games, right? He got traded, and then Minnesota was like, man, what the hell's the point? He was number 16 last year. 13.5 points, 2.5 threes, 5.5 rebounds, 2 steals, 1.3 blocks. He's consistent with his non-field goal percent numbers. The field goal percent always bounces around. He gets a little bit streaky from that standpoint. But, I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy that is just consistently undervalued. He was in the 30s the year before that, the 17-18 season. You can go all the way back to 16-17 if you want. He was in the 30s that year as well. How did he get from the 30s up to the teens? Well, it was a field goal percent jump, largely. He was at 41%. He was at 40%, and then 41%, and then he's jumped it up now to about 42 or 43 the last couple of years. That little bit, by the way, at 10 shots a game, not a ton, but going from 40 to 42 or 43%, that moved him from a third-round pick to an early second-round pick. I mean, we're talking... Here's what This is why I liked Chris Paul, and I, I want to draw the comparison because it's a little bit different. Chris Paul was going to a new situation where we knew he was going to get to play his game. He was coming off a really bad year, which Covington is not this time around. And all the signs pointed to CP3 just kind of getting his groove back this season. But from a sheer numbers standpoint, it was like, look, you know, the previous year in Houston for Paul was the bottoming point. There was nowhere to go but up. We had known him in the past to be a first-round value, if in the right situation, and all we needed was health. With Covington, it's a little bit different in that he's coming off a good year, so that's going to hurt our ability to get a value on his ADP, but he's always going to be a guy that gets overlooked because he doesn't score. He doesn't score. He averages 12.8 points per game for his entire career. He doesn't score. People probably weren't really paying attention to what he was doing in Houston for 14 games before everything got shut down. And so he's always going to get a little bit underdrafted. But damn, that field goal percent bump, combined with everything else that he does, I'll be keeping a close watch on Rocco. 
All right, that's the Rockets. That was your uh, that was your easy Southwest Division team. We got a couple more Texas teams coming up in San Antonio and Dallas over the next couple of days in no particular order. And then again, Memphis and uh, New Orleans. One of those two will be on Friday and one will be on Tuesday of next week, I believe, uh, as we slide in our The Last Dance and Lesson Learned Monday. And it could all get shifted back another day if we do talk to Brandon Marcus in there as well. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. This was... Uh, oh, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to do the full, what's the big takeaway from uh, Houston over the course of the year. The big takeaway is that, you know, there are some Dan Bespris old man squad guys out there that are incredibly low usage. But once they slide into that outside the top 100 territory, it's probably better to just get them into a rotation and do a little bit of upside chasing. And the other thing to keep an eye on once again is what does it mean to actually be injury prone? Nothing right now. What does it mean to be incredibly durable? Well, it means quite a lot if you're as good as a guy like James Harden. Now we're officially done. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. Back at you tomorrow. Our trip around the NBA continues here on Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk to you tonight. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.